Welcome to episode 22 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we are going back to our series on the women of the Bible, and we are actually going to discuss a very short passage in Philippians 4, which is about Euodia and Syntyche. And I did look up how to pronounce them this time, so I think that's pretty close. If not, please forgive me. Now, normally, I just want to give a caveat that I do use the New Living Translation most of the time when I'm reading on this podcast, but today I'm actually going to use the NIV, which is the New International Version, and that's because the NLT actually makes a choice to interpret the text in a certain way, and that might be correct, and it might not be correct based on my research, so because it made that choice... I wanted to rely on the NIV because that version actually allows you to kind of see that there it might mean multiple things. I also want to give a special thanks to Margaret Mosco. She is Australian and she's got a theology degree and a master's degree with a specialization in early Christian and Jewish studies. And I wanted to thank her for helping inform my understanding of these women. And I will also be linking her work in the show notes, and I'll refer to her several more times during the podcast. So if you want to read more about her work, you can find it linked in the show notes. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, Millennial, welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what he has to say through studying his words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture, beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate Creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you meet us where we're at and that you're always present. We cannot escape your presence. You are here for us. You are here with us. You love us so much, and you are a God who pursues us. And I pray today that we would feel your pursuit of us, how much you love us, how much you choose us, and how much you love and choose women. Thank you for all of these stories in the Bible. Thank you for all of the mentions of women all over the Bible. And I pray that you would broaden our understanding of what women's roles look like and broaden our understanding of what women can do for your kingdom. And I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that you would enlighten me and enlighten the listeners, that we would learn more about you, who you truly are, through this short, brief passage on these incredible women. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that you are always with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as usual, I like to give a little bit of context on the passage that we're going to be studying. Now, this is out of Philippians, and in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at, at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see here that Paul wrote this letter, 
And possibly he did so with the help um, or maybe in conjunction or with the advice or input of Timothy. But primarily Paul wrote this letter and that's pretty clear as you continue to read the letter because he talks about himself in the letter in a way that's specific to Paul. So I think it's um, reasonable to conclude that Paul probably wrote the majority of this letter and they address it to the audience being the church at Philippi. And what's really interesting here is Paul pretty much always addresses the beginning of his letters um, to a specific church. And it's usually to the members of the church, which he does in this case. But he also adds something that's a little bit unusual. He specifically calls out what are in the New International Version called overseers and deacons, specifically as part of the audience. So the overseers are probably church leaders of various kinds. Um, Deacons also perform usually a leadership role, although not usually a pastor role in our current times. I'm not sure what deacons did at that time. I'll dig more into that in the future episode, but at this time, I'm not sure. So that's just something interesting to note. That will be something that we'll come back to later after we read the couple of verses on these two women. Keep in mind that this letter was not just written to the men and women who attended the church, but also specifically calls out the church leaders as the audience. So we'll return to that in a little bit. Now in Philippians 3, Paul actually describes different warnings to the church about how to live, and he actually also encourages them to pattern their lives after how Paul has done his life. Now, he doesn't say, oh, I'm Jesus, or I replaced the Messiah, or anything crazy like that. He's just giving himself as an example a way to pattern their lives in the pursuit of God. He also encourages them that they are citizens of heaven, which is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. I just love that phrase, citizens of heaven. Um, But we'll come back to that in a future episode. Now, starting in Philippians chapter 4, which is the last chapter of this book of the Bible, we will read verses 1 through 3 because that's pretty much the only part that applies to these women. So, starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, that's it. (laughs) And I'll read it again a little bit later if you wanted to ruminate on it a little bit more. So just a couple of things I want to point out before we get to the attributes of Euodia and Syntyche. First, the NLT and other translations actually interpret verse 2 of chapter 4 as meaning that Euodia and Syntyche had some sort of disagreement. So they specifically say that it was a disagreement or some versions, I believe, say argument. This is actually possible. It is possible that these two women were having some sort of agreement. I was learning this by reading Moscow's interpretation of the Greek. So it doesn't have to mean disagreement, but it could mean that. So because that was an option, I didn't want to choose a version that already said that that was definitely what this meant. Because if you think about the phrase, to be of the same mind, 
you know, it says, I plead with Euodia and plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So that's the part that some people interpret as they having a disagreement. But that phrase can also refer to living in harmony with one another. And when I was kind of doing my own exploration of the Greek and that phraseology and where else we can find it, what came up was Romans 12, 16. And this verse says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So that phrase harmony, harmony with one another is the same phrase, be of the same mind that's used here. So I think it's reasonable to also think that possibly they just needed to be working in unison, be working in harmony with each other, not necessarily because of a big disagreement, although it could have been that too. I'm not discounting that. It could also refer to just being like-minded with Paul because he is talking about that, as I mentioned before, in Philippians 3. For example, in Philippians 3 verse 12, it says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Specifically here in verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So this could really be describing Rather than like a conflict or disagreement between the women, it could be just talking about being like-minded with Paul and kind of seeing things the way that he sees things and him correcting them to see things in his way. To me, it's not really clear, so it's not something I want to focus on for the rest of the podcast. I know that this like little section is often used as an example of how to settle disagreements, I'm not sure if that's really what this passage is teaching or not, so I'm going to set that aside. Another note is that I spent some time trying to figure out who the true companion is. I was like, who is this guy, right? Because in the verse it says, after talking about them being of the same mind, it says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, etc., That part that says my true companion, I was just very interested in. Ultimately, I'm not sure who it is, and I don't think anyone knows who it is. Some versions say that it's actually a person's name, and some people interpret it as yoke fellow, and I've come to the conclusion that, again, we don't know. (laughs) After spending some time looking into it, we don't know who this guy is. He's If that's his name, nobody seems to know who he is. So I'm just going to let that one go as well. Before we get into the attributes of Euodian Syntyche, I think that we should just read these verses again, set those other things I mentioned aside, and just kind of focus on what's going on with these two women. So verse 2 of chapter 4 says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So what are the attributes of these two women? 
Well, first, they were definitely important women at the church in Philippi. Now, it is disputed how important they were, but they were definitely important women because Paul actually mentions them by name and they worked alongside Paul. And so it's really interesting that in this letter, this really important letter that he's sending to the church of Philippi, he calls out these two women by name. And this letter, as I said, had the interesting distinction that it actually says that it's addressed to not just the church, but specifically also the leaders of the church. So it is possible that they were leaders of some kind in this church. Now, according to Margaret Mosco, she says on her website, quote, it was not unusual for women to have leading roles in Philippi. Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia, and it was well documented that Macedonian women enjoy greater freedoms, rights, and powers than many other women of that time, end quote. So that's pretty interesting. So the women of Macedonia could have possibly had leadership roles in the church in a time where that might not have been as common. So regardless of whether that was true of Euodia and Syntyche, whether they were actually leaders in the church or not, it's clear that they were really important women in this church and that what was going on with them was worth Paul calling out and discussing. And It seems to me that Paul would really only do that if they were of some sort of influence. And remember, too, you might be thinking of this church as, as, you know, the way that we go to church now in a big, you know, meeting hall. But remember that the early churches were probably home churches. So it is possible that um, the church could have been held in women's homes. It's possible that women could have been working as deacons in the church, like Phoebe. It's possible that women could have been all kinds of different roles meeting the needs of the church. Regardless, it seems that these two were important. Second point, they worked alongside men, specifically Paul, in the cause of the gospel. I love that it says, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, who seems like a man, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, This word that says contended, in some versions it says worked hard, in some versions it says labored, in some versions it says contended. So it just depends on which version you're looking at. But Margot Mosco says on her website, quote, when he describes the ministry of Euodia and Syntyche, Paul uses a couple of the same terms he had previously applied to Timothy and Epaphroditus. I'm so sorry. I I didn't practice that one ahead of time. For instance, Paul writes that Euodia and Syntyche had contended together with him in the gospel. Earlier in the letter, Paul had described Timothy as someone who had served with him in the gospel. Furthermore, Paul goes on to refer to Euodia and Syntyche as his co-workers. Earlier, Paul had referred to Epaphroditus as his co-worker. So according to Paul, the ministries of the women, Euodia and Syntyche, were in some ways comparable to the ministries of the men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, end quote. So I think that's interesting. He uses similar language when he's discussing the work of men and women when it comes to working in the gospel. Specifically, she talks about Timothy and the other guy (laughs) and, you know, they're, they're co-workers. They're working alongside Paul 
And I think that that's so interesting that they are like laboring, they're working hard, they're doing this work alongside the men. And he doesn't call that out as something that shouldn't be done. It's very much called out in a positive light, a positive light, a way that is actually promoting the gospel, a way that is furthering the gospel. So I think that that is really, really cool, honestly, that that Paul uses the similar language when he's talking about working with these women versus working with other men in the Bible. And that just to me really affirms that women are important when it comes to working to further the gospel and working alongside men in this in this mission that we've been given. All right, third, I really love that their names are in the book of life. So based on this really short section, it seems to me pretty reasonable to conclude that the women that are mentioned, Euodia and Syntyche and Clement and the rest of Paul's co-workers, that they're all saved, that they're all members of the kingdom of heaven, that they're all citizens of heaven, because it mentions that their names are in the book of life, which that's usually what that refers to. So I think that that's really beautiful to see that not only were they working towards the gospel, but they were, you know, doing so in as believers in the gospel. All right, so most importantly, what do these verses about Euodian Syntyche tell us about God? First, again and again and again, God uses women. Women can be in all kinds of roles. And I love when God uses women according to their gifts, according to the talents he's given them. And in some way, Euodian Syntyche we're working as co-workers with Paul in the cause of the gospel, and I don't know what that means. There's not a lot of specifics given, but instead of Paul saying, you know, Euodian Syntyche should really be, you know, staying at home, doing blah, 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 conforming to gender and societal expectations, he doesn't say that. Instead, he is kind of, you know, praising these women and their ability to do this hard work, working for the cause of the gospel. And I love that God used women to work alongside Paul. Paul actually calls out women a lot in the New Testament as working with him. In Romans 16, I believe he calls out somewhere around 10 different women who he's, you know, calling out in a positive light and in a way that's admirable. And I think that if we look for it, there are tons of examples of women doing really significant things in the early church and Paul calling those out in a positive way. And I like that so much because a lot of times we look at Paul's writings, or at least I do, and I get a little discouraged by some of the things that he's mentioning. But I also feel encouraged when I read things like this, and I feel bolstered, and I feel like through example we're being shown how women can help further the cause of the gospel, whether or not that conformed to gender and societal expectations, which usually didn't. I'm on this journey, I should mention of really looking into those few, probably some around five or six verses that talk about women as being in some way um, submissive to men or maybe in a way that's been used to say that women are supposed to fill certain gender roles in the church and at home. And I'm on this journey of really understanding those verses and really questioning if the way that I've been taught those verses in the past is the reality. So I should mention that to you, and I also would like to bring that up here and there on the podcast as I'm learning, and I am very much in the process of learning, but I do love to call out every time I see God using women in incredible ways beyond 
societal and gender expectations or limitations that would traditionally be placed on these women. Secondly, God uses women to spread the gospel. I think we focus sometimes too much on how we need to inhibit women or keep them within their roles that are assigned to them, supposedly, but God is inhibited by nothing. Nothing. Women can help spread the gospel, and they can actually promote the cause of the gospel alongside men. It's not just for men to do. This is important work for all members of the church to do. We are all called to further and spread the gospel. And I love that God is not inhibited by anything that man has created, that humankind has created, any kind of rules, expectations, concepts of what's proper. God is not bound by any of that. And he can use women in incredible ways. And he does use women in incredible ways to spread the gospel. Lastly, God's plan for salvation is beautiful. It really is. I think it's important to come back to time and time again that the gospel is so beautiful. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that we fall short. All have fallen short. All of us have sinned. All of us are separated from God. And Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Fully man and fully God. He came to earth, lived the perfect life for us unjustly. He was crucified on the cross and he took on all of our sins and he redeemed us. And he conquered sin and death and he resurrected and came back to us three days later. And that is so beautiful. It's all about Jesus. Jesus, he came to save men and he came to save women. And we can have confidence that if we believe that, if we repent of our past lives of our sins and we turn to Jesus, that we are saved. We're in the book of life. And God is all about saving diverse people, diverse nations. God is all about saving people that we believe are beyond saving. God chooses people and he saves them and rescues them. So beautiful. God's plan for salvation. It's been talked about and limited over time. Sometimes we believe that certain people cannot be saved, but God is limited by nothing. God is God. All right, just to summarize, some attributes of Yodia and Sintiki. They were important women in the church at Philippi. They worked alongside men in the cause of the gospel. Their names are in the book of life. And what can we learn about God through this short story? That God uses women. That God uses women to spread the gospel. And that God's plan for salvation is beautiful. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much that nothing can limit you. You are so much bigger than society. Our expectations, any concept we have of you is finite and doesn't do justice to who you are. You are infinite. You are beautiful. You are timeless. You are more than we could possibly imagine. And you meet us where we're at. You love women. You love men. You love your people. Please save us, God, and show us our role in spreading and furthering the gospel. Let us work towards that. We love you, Lord. Enlighten us and be near us. 
Let your presence be with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining. I'll chat with you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.